Toto. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're listening to Out of Oz, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Welcome back to Out of Oz, a Building 28 Church podcast where we expose the fantasies and fallacies of modern day Christianity with courage, conviction, and compassion. I'm your host, Peter Tragos, and with me as always is the pastor of Building 28 Church, Aaron Curran. Well, slick. Not too bad. I just need a little jogging and then I get it and we're good. Tell us who we have with us today. well, we got some sweet shoes that Pete's wearing here today. Uh, I like those, man. Some some <laughs> no, fresh tassels. Um, uh, and we have we have some really good friends actually on the podcast today. Um, returning again. Now we were just discussing his contract okay, extension. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, no, but Deshaun is back on the podcast. Deshaun Cousins, our pastoral resident here. Thank you. Thank awesome you. to have. Yeah, awesome to have you. And uh, we also have my very good friend, covenant member here at Building Twenty Eight, wife of one of our deacons, wife of a firefighter. Yes. And uh. She's awesome. Sarah Hayner. Thank Hanna, you. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for being on the podcast. Um, and then we have the pastor. Is it lead pastor? I know you're the teaching pastor. However you, but the teaching pastor, lead pastor over at Aletheia in, uh, it's just Aletheia Church, right? Yeah. Aletheia Church um, over in uh, Wesley Chap- yeah. Chapel area. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron Prophet and Aaron and I met a decade ago, right? Decade. Right when we were both starting to plant. Yeah. Uh, we met at a, a resurgence conference. And uh, kind of connected there, hit it off there. And unfortunately, we're both too busy to get much time to hang out, unfortunately. But uh, anyway, it's, it's great to have you. And the one thing I always, always remember about you, Aaron, is you have the threefold office in your name, right? Isn't, isn't this true? Like you told me this a long time ago, meaning that- Aaron David Prophet. Aaron David Prophet. Mm-hmm. So you got priest, oh. king, and prophet, king prophet. In, your, oh. in your name. That's- it's, yeah, I remember yeah, that. I'm like, cool. man, that's that that you couldn't just you couldn't that's, make that happen no, if you wanted to. My, my so, well, he could. He could. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, awesome topic today. The legal side. Uh, very polarizing topic, and uh, even even now the election is over. Unfortunately, there's dust up politically around this issue, but even with the election over, this will remain a very critical topic. So, what do we got, Pete? Today we're talking about Black Lives Matter. So it's going to be really fun. It should be a pretty lighthearted subject that we all will probably agree on and not have many issues to to really bounce off each other. But to start out, when we talk about Black Lives Matter, I think one of the big issues that people have in our country on both sides of every aisle, whatever aisle you may be talking about or thinking about, is how do you define this? What is Black Lives Matter to you? What does the movement mean? What, what does it look like in your head when you see Black Lives Matter or hear Black Lives Matter what pops into your head? Aaron, would you like to go first or last? You know what? Those are your options. <laughs> I, I would. I know Sarah's not going to want to go first no, here. No, I wasn't so, going to do that to her. Uh, Thank you, So, Peter. Buddy, you want to you wanna hop in first? Now? I heard on me. So the question of basically what do I think about Black Lives Matter? What does it mean to you? Like what is, when somebody says Black Lives Matter, what does that mean? So for me, actually, I will read straight from their website of who they are. Okay. So it says on their website, Black Lives Matter was founded in 2013 in response to the acquittal of Trayvon Martin's murder, Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, Inc. is a global organization in the U.S., U.K., and Canada whose mission is to eradicate white supremacy and build local power to intervene in violence inflicted on black communities by the state and vigilantes. By combating and countering acts of violence, creating space for black imagination and innovation, and centering black joy, we are winning immediate improvements in our lives. So 
I would go to who do they actually say they are. And that's one of the things I think we should do more of just as a people because we can get secondhand information and make determinations and judgments. And so I would go and see who do they say they actually are. And so I think it's good for us to go to their actual website and learn about who they are. Okay. So so they give us a definition. I, that's a pretty long definition with a lot yeah. of words in it as well that need their own definitions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so, and that's what I'm asking, I guess. So from your perspective, when you read that definition, what does it mean to you? How does it resonate to you? Oh, man. Um, so in it, which I guess we're going to get to in a little bit, there's particular parts I'm like, all right, I don't have a problem with that. But there's other parts where, as we get to definition of what do you mean by white supremacy? What mm-hmm. do you mean by centering of black joy? What are these things different mean? So for me, overall, as an organization, I don't really have as much affiliation, association, or deep understanding about them. I care more about, all right, what does this mean for us as a church? So that's kind of when I think of the organization, it's more so how does this impact the church? Yeah, I think that's when I think about this, I don't go right away to the organization. Like that's not where my mind goes. I know that's a big part of it. And for some people, that's where they land. And so we have to be prudent about that, that when we're talking about that or using a hashtag or the slogan, um, that some people, their mind is right away going to go. So when we talk about should Christians support Black Lives Matter, some people are going to think right away, is Sarah or Deshaun or Aaron or Aaron talking about or the organization, like, <laughs> yeah, right. are, are they talking about the organization? And and we can absolutely talk about that. For me, when I think of Black Lives Matter, I think not about, unfortunately, what what doesn't come to mind right away is what the phrase means. Unfortunately, you like, mean like, you just mean the plain meaning? Yeah, the plain meaning of it is: Do Black Lives Matter? And I think we would all agree, hopefully, biblically, rationally, morally, yes. Absolutely, they matter. They matter of consequence. Now, one of the biggest things here, I was let the cat out back right away, is if if you have a view, clearly that is anti-biblical, or I would say especially that is anti-God. Like uh, there's a there's an atheistic worldview that comes that with many we talked about on a on our social justice podcast, Marxism, which was founded out of atheistic thinking. Nothing a, a rational, consistent atheist. You know, we're all familiar with, but you take somebody like a Hitchens or a Harris or a Dawkins or whoever, mm-hmm. they would say ultimately nothing matters. No one matters. Nothing in the world matters. Like nothing matters. Nothing's of consequence. The Christian worldview, we have a worldview where lives matter, where black lives, specifically brown lives matter. And so, but that unfortunately is not what comes to mind when most people think of black lives matter. When I hear the phrase, that's not what comes to mind for me. It What comes to mind for me is... Uh, not the organization, not the meaning of the phrase, but the polarization around it, the divide, the bickering, the hatred, um, really the racism that exists um, across spectrums and just really the division, I think, is for me. I don't know. Uh, what about you, Sarah? I just see it as like two different sides separating the two as far as biblically. I don't believe what Black Lives Matter the organization itself stands for. But like you said, of course, Black Lives Matter people. Awesome. Yeah. Mr. Prophet. You get Pro- to go probably, You probably, I mean, as a pastor, you've probably dealt with yeah, just, a, just a, a, a wee bit just of a tension bit. around this <laughs> issue, right? Yeah, yeah, I think I think it it it's triggering. Um, so when you know when you think about the phrase, you do kind of tend to automatically think about the organization, okay. and that uh, almost the organization tends to trump. Kind of what what you were just referring to, Aaron. Just you the, use that word on purpose, bro. <laughs> use that word on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Try not to. Yeah. Try not to <laughs> use that word again. <laughs> no, um, but it does tend to kind of trump the the meaning and the importance mm-hmm. and sure. the significance and the value of a phrase like Black Lives Matter. Because again, we would all agree 
that undoubtedly, uh, because of where we stand as God's people, uh, black lives do unequivocally, in fact, matter. So it's very, it's very triggering for, for me as a pastor. I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. So after the George Floyd murder in late May, you know, all of us as, as leaders, Christian leaders and pastors were kind of navigating the waters again. This wasn't the first time and trying to figure out how we were going to, uh, to address this and, and, you know, work our people through it, even work ourselves through it and how we could just step into the moment again. I think as, as Christian leaders, we want to always step into the moments instead of like stepping away from the moments. And so what I did, uh, what I thought would be a value, uh, was to take my family of six downtown. And we had heard about a prayer meeting, kind of a prayer walk that was taking place through a local church in downtown Tampa. And uh, essentially what we were going to do was just go and pray. Okay. We we're just going to go and pray. There were a lot of people downtown. Okay. Yeah. And, and I posted something on my, my Instagram feed, but the caption was, Hey, we, we're diving into this messy moment. We care. Black lives do in fact matter, but I don't even think I used the phrase in my caption. Yeah. But in the kind of off to the foreground of the of the video that was taken uh, was a sign, and it didn't even spell out Black Lives Matter. It just was a BLM mm-hmm. sign, and immediately the the accusations and the phone calls and the texts and the emails came. Yeah. A lot of from a lot from our, our some of the people in our church. Yeah. So so it's just triggering. Like they couldn't even read my caption. Yeah. I was just basically making a blanket statement. Hey, we want to step into this moment and care and love and pray for, for people who maybe feel oppressed, yeah. are oppressed, have been oppressed. And uh, yeah, so I think, I think when I think about it, like it's really hard for me to even talk about it now. I'm a little yeah. gun shy. Oh, yeah. Because in talking about it over the last few months, we've lost people, heated arguments, you know, police officers coming into my office wanting to talk about it. Yeah, it's just, it's very triggering. And I think that's pretty easily problematic, right? Like, I don't understand how that helps that if everybody feels a little apprehensive to talk mm-hmm. about it, which I think we all do. Mm-hmm. I think you're foolish if you don't, yeah. um, because you don't want to hurt people and how you talk about it. But talking about issues is what helps people work through them. Yep. You know, what were you going to say? No, I was going to say, I, I, I definitely want to get to A, why, if we can't, if everybody in this room can't rally around the organization, specifically why. We can't do that because mm-hmm. that's important, I think. Mm-hmm. Also, I want to just talk about for whoever might be watching or listening, why we, in fact, do believe that black lives, all lives, white lives, brown lives, unborn lives, why all lives do matter, like where we can stand with that. And I know for some of us, that's probably, or some of our listeners, that's just probably commonplace. Like they've known that their whole lives. But for others, like there, there needs to be a defense as we walk out in society. But I did want to first talk, you know, what Aaron was talking about. We, um, after, after George Floyd's death, we were, we were reopening that Sunday. Like we were just reopening. And so there was all this, we were pre-recording services. So I pre he died, I think on a Monday night. Um, yeah, I was off too, social so. media at that time. Like I just left social media. It was just a mess even before all the racial yes. tension broke out. It was just a mess. So I was like, I don't want anything to, you know, I just don't want to be there. Toxic. And, um, and so I was off social media. And so it wasn't until Wednesday morning, we go to staff lunch and Jeffrey's like, our media director's like, oh, man, did you see this about George Floyd? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he I still to this day haven't watched the video. I have a for anybody watching. I, I, I do have a uh, a son who's half black, and I think for me and for Danielle, it was kind of like 
I, I would never to, to hear that George Floyd was calling for his mom and all that. Like, I'm not a highly emotional person, but I just didn't want to even imagine like what that would have been like, you know, to, because we do know that, that there is injustice that takes place around our country to what degree. And is it systemic? That's all stuff we can talk about. But um, if we want to, but stuff does happen, unfortunately, that is racially charged, not just in law enforcement, just everywhere. And so we, we didn't do that, but I heard about it on Wednesday morning, we pre-recorded our service that day before I even had any discussions about it. And that service went out, it was before we were live, that service went out on Sunday and the heat we took, I took <laughs> hmm. for not addressing it. The, the public, you know, scrutiny, the public mockery um, for not addressing it, for not lamenting um, white supremacy to Deshaun's point, systemic racism, police brutality, for not lamenting this and calling out in my sermon, which I didn't even believe in then. And I still, the, the jury's kind of still out for me on these things. Um, and then what followed oh, was- you, well, you, know, you mean- <laughs> Be more on, specific. Yeah, yeah. On yeah. systemic racism. Yeah, yeah. On you don't mean brutality. lamenting white supremacy. Right? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. On, okay. on what, no. on to Deshaun's point, on what, what white supremacy is. is. Okay. You know, like, right. like, I don't, like, it's, you talk to different people, you get different definitions. Right. Okay. That's what I meant. Mm, Sorry. Yeah. I'm glad you clarified. Mm. Not, the jury is not out when it comes to <laughs> yeah. racism that is bad. Jury's in. Bad news. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. No, but I think for us, it was just such a time of upheaval. Um, it was a time over the next month where myself and our leaders were called racist and called Marxist, which was like super weird. I'm sure it was the same for you guys over at Lethia. It's like, yeah. if you didn't fully embrace everything that Black Lives Matter and kind of um, the progressive side of Christianity wanted you to embrace, you're a racist now. And if you didn't, uh, on Blackout Tuesday, if you didn't post an American flag with a with a blue line through it, and and then then you're now a Marxist. And it was just, you couldn't have, there was, civility was gone, mm -hmm. let alone godliness. It was just gone. Like, it just wasn't there. And so it was, it has been, and every pastor I've talked to, it's been this way. It's just been a factious time, a divisive time. And so um, we we walked through that. We've all walked through that. I mean, what was, uh, one, of the, one of the reasons I really, because I've talked with you, Sarah, I've talked with Sean a little bit, but what is it, what is it like, you know, as a so your your family's from Trinidad? Yes. Okay. Um, so having grown up here, but especially I would say in 2020, yeah. during this time, like what was it, what was it like? Because I know we we've almost laughed at times about just awkward people trying to like be politically correct and Yeah, I I feel like and for us, so we were I was born in Trinidad. Um I feel like there's a big cultural difference versus black from the islands versus an American black man or woman. Um, like growing up, I was questioned, what are you? You don't act a certain way. You don't, you look a certain way. But to me, it's like a, well, what am I supposed to act like? Why? Why would that be a question? So that's constantly in the back of my head as a kid. Um, I don't look a certain way. Don't, what does that mean? So for me growing up, it was, we would encounter some things. I remember, um, my dad would share stories of like we'd be out somewhere and people wouldn't talk to him until he opened his mouth. And I know that sounds so silly, but just instances like that as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And specifically like George Floyd, June, July, was that was that a, a weird time? Not it was kind of like. If anything, it gave more opportunity to talk about things sure. and just bring up situations. But hmm. I've never really looked at race. I know that sounds silly but like growing up that just wasn't talked about yeah, not, yeah. that's awesome yeah hmm. Sean. So had a little bit of a different experience with yeah, it um, for sure. so starting off with with Floyd like you said of what's going on in 2020 so that was similar to you I did not watch the video yet 
Um, so I've heard sound clippings and especially the part with calling out to his mother and stuff like that. And so that was hard. Um, just any, just if black or white, just hearing a man cry out for his mother, why yeah. he's being killed. And it, yeah. So that was hard for me, just kind of the ramifications of that and things of that nature. But over time, I've kind of got a little bit tapped out with having the conversation so many different times. And so I've gone through my ups and downs of not wanting to talk about it anymore, but being in ministry, you have to engage mm-hmm. with people. And so I've been making sure to stay up and understand what's going on. And so for myself and my wife, that's something we've had to navigate because even as we were evaluate coming out to Building 28, that was a question for us to really think through of going where where it is going to be predominantly white church. What does that mean for us as ethnics? So my wife is Puerto Rican and I'm obviously black. And so we've had to navigate and think through those different things. And those are some things that some people don't even realize it's a real consideration. Right. Mm-hmm. And even living where it's predominantly white around me, I think about that at times where I'll walk into a space and I'm literally the only black person in there. Mm-hmm. For sure. But yeah. because of my upbringing, I'm not as uncomfortable with it. I know other people who are a little bit more uncomfortable. And so for me, I grew up starting off and I was around pretty much only black kid in class to there was no white people around me at all. So I've had that kind of polarizing growing up. And so I've, I'm okay with navigating either way that it may be, but I know for other people, it's more difficult to Absolutely. navigate that. Um, let me, let me uh, really quick. And then I'll, I'll, I want to go profit for a theological defense of why all lives matter. Like why we believe this, why black lives matter. Um, but as far as the organization goes, we talked about this earlier, at least where I would stand. I think where Deshaun would stand. I don't know where everybody else stands. But the organization had on their website, they've taken it down. I think it was a smart move. But they had that they they stood to disrupt the nuclear family. That They do have still on their website that they're affirming of transgender and, and homosexual mm-hmm. and, and so forth, which so are we as Christians where we should be. Not of the sin not of the lifestyle choice, but of the person, like of the, of the life, that life still matters. And, um, and I think that's, you know, we're going to talk about, I think some of the issues that have existed and how Christians are getting it wrong. And that's one of the things we've gotten wrong is that we've demonized lives in this for positions that they have taken that might be sinful, might be wrong, might be anti-God. Um, but the life matters like that, that black life, that brown life matters, that soul matters. Um, and, if, if for anybody who's listening, why would you say, like, we would all agree here, hey, Black Lives Matter. Why, why, why is that, like, from a biblical perspective? Yeah. Well, you go all the way back to Genesis and, uh, you know, creation. When, when God created male and female, he created them in his image, in his likeness. Um, so you always have to s- start there as, like, the baseline level from which you operate. That's just basic human dignity. Uh, that that we were created by a massive God, you know, who out of out of love and for His glory, made made man and and woman in His in His image and in His likeness. And so, you know, I think I think in some ways, you know, and and maybe to to credit what you were just referring to, just the ways that we've we've demonized people and lives and. And, and maybe at times even, you know, highlighted certain certain people. And I think that's maybe the, the flip side argument why people, but again, it's mostly the white evangelical or white population, why we're struggling so much with the Black Lives Matter conversation is just like, why are we highlighting a certain group since, you know, as God's people, we believe that that every life matters. Um, but I think then you have to dive into the the complexities and the layers and the historicity of black lives in this country. 
and just the the deeply rooted racism uh, that and you know I know that the word systemic is also triggering and so I've sure. I've even been been careful not to throw out that term and to more so just kind of bring clarity and definition in the semantics of it all because man semantics have really yeah. probably gotten you in trouble and <laughs> oh yeah I mean they've gotten me in, in a lot of trouble man and yeah. and again it feels like a lose lose situation when you begin to talk about it because you know you've got people on polarizing sides and extreme sides and you're trying to give a third this third tier yeah. you know the, the the better way as Paul says to the church in Corinth in uh at the end of verse uh, at the end of chapter 12 and there's still a more excellent way and i f- i feel like you know sometimes we get bogged down with with the idea of black lives matter that's why i don't necessarily support the organization because it is very agenda driven and there's some yes. there's some yeah. secret agenda behind it but so if we can kind of get above that and talk about the image bearing aspect of it all uh, and and eventually get to the point of all lives matter, but I think it's okay. And the point that I was making to our church at the very early moments was like, hey, it's okay for us to highlight that Black Lives Matter. Like, hey, we'll get we'll get to other lives. Like, I feel like white lives have, have kind of had their stake in the game for many many years, for centuries. You know, is it is it okay for us to highlight uh, Black lives in this moment? Is it okay for at times? us to highlight orphans and widows. Is it, the Bible does this, the Bible categorizes, right? The Bible deals with race. It the Bible dives into, to the topic of race. So I feel like that's where, you know, credence is given to, to the thought. So what is that more excellent way? What is the better way? What's the appropriate way to look at this? Yeah. Are we, are we getting there? Let's that was like question there. number I mean, five. We're, we're like 20 yeah. minutes in already. Let's you know what? This, this guy, yeah. he <laughs> jumps all around with the outline, man. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know, no, it's fine. We know, we it's know fine. the arguments on both sides. We know people that are going to say every white person is racist and yeah. people are going to say that there's nothing racist in the world and everybody has their own same shot. We can get into that yeah. as we go, but let's start with, because I think people need something to grab onto sometimes in these podcasts. So let's start with the more excellent way in your opinion. Yeah. How do we look at this? How should people look at this in your opinion? Yeah, I think the statement, and it's a biblical, it it comes from a verse, the statement that has stuck out the most to me. I mean, from the very early moments of this and really tracing it back. I remember uh, sitting down with the NFL. I'm I'm not going to name drop. We're not going to do that on the podcast. But, oh, come on, man. You got to talk about all the important people. <laughs> but I was, I was, I was, I happened to be sitting down years ago with, with a uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneer uh, defensive lineman who had kind of re- had recently been been saved by Christ and he grew up in Ferguson. Okay, so this was this would have been, you know, if you can think back to Mike Mike Brown, 2014 now, and and having having this conversation with him and and I remember going into that being pretty like fearful. If I'm going to be honest with you, I'm like, what am I? What have I got to bring to this guy? Like Mike, like the Mike Brown incident had just happened. He and I had just happened to set up a meeting. It had nothing to do with what had taken place in Ferguson. And I'm I'm going in and when I'm meeting him at, at at a Starbucks in Seminole Heights. I'm like, does this guy even like drink Starbucks coffee? Like, what? I, I you know, so we're sitting down and you know this big six five, two hundred ninety pound defensive lineman. And I remember going into it thinking, thinking about uh, Romans chapter thirteen verse eight. Oh, no one, anything except the love. And man, that has just, that has just blown up like everything for me through, through every situation, through every pastoral situation that I have been in, especially this year. Like, Hey, Paul's just like, Hey guys, Hey church in Rome, 
you guys don't owe anybody anything. You don't owe each other anything except for <laughs> like really what at the end of the day is the hardest thing to do. Yeah. Apart from the grace of God, right? Even the common grace of God and the redemptive grace of God to love people. And so, man, that has driven my approach. And so that's where I begin. And then when we break it down a little bit further, I, you know, we, we think about the idea of lamenting and, you know, I, I pushed our church to read Woke Church by Dr. Eric Mason. I know you're very familiar with Dr. Yep. Mason. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And man, a lot has come out of his teaching. And, uh, you know, even since I, I encouraged our, our church to read the book, but that term itself, woke. And I think Dr. Mason, in a lot of ways, redeemed that term. If you look at the very early pages of the book, where he was just imploring God's people to awake. You guys have been asleep. Like, wake up. That's, that's what Paul told the church in Corinth. And so I think that in a lot of ways, we think of that term woke as like very progressive and Marxist and, you know, all that. And I think Dr. Mason did a good job of redeeming it. But even when I encouraged our church to read that book, I mean, people lost their minds. Like, <laughs> what I'm is a, it with the woke term? Right? Um, why, do, why do Christians yeah. have such a hard time with that woke term? So, so here's the thing. We've talked about this on previous podcasts as well. Like, I love John Piper. Don't agree with John Piper on everything. I love Tim Keller. Don't agree with mm-hmm. Tim Keller. I love Vody Bartram. Don't agree with Vody on everything. Um, I love Douglas Wilson. He's one of my heroes. And I was talking with a young lady last night. She came in to meet with um, meet with us here. And she's like, hey, I was reading this book by Doug Wilson. Out, and, and he said, it's a sin if a woman doesn't have long hair. And I'm like, don't agree with Doug Wilson on everything, <laughs> right? So, so don't agree with everybody. And I would say with Mason, like respect him, love him. Um, but don't, uh, don't agree conceptually, ideologically with some of the things um, that are in woke church. And mm-hmm. once in the term, just like Black Lives Matter, the term woke carries so much baggage with it. Mm-hmm. That, uh, you know, Vody Bachram, who's on the other side of this, who I would lean closer toward, but is demonized so much so he had to move to Africa. Um, but over this issue, you know, he would say that woke is a ethnic Gnosticism that exists. And I know you've read about that or watched that too, Deshaun, mm-hmm. about Vody's stuff on this, mm-hmm. um, that it is a specialized enlightenment. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that's what Mason was getting after in that. He's saying that's what – and these are his words, mm-hmm. and I understand what he's saying. But he's saying that's what a lot of people that use the word woke – um, they're talking about a revelation that you're never going to be able to get, or I might never be able to get just because we're not black. And so we're never going to have that specialized revelation. I know Mason's not talking about that because he's saying we can be awakened, like yes. we can be woke. Um, but it's a very polarizing word. Um, it is a very, it's a word that's attached, not always, but typically to a lot of experience and a lot of emotion. Um, so it's a personalized experience. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we've really had to wrestle through to Aaron's point is, um, this idea of systemic racism versus individual racism. I don't think anybody, hopefully no one, I know there's people out there, but hopefully nobody who's really thinking carefully about this denies that individual racism exists and is probably quite pervasive on many levels in our society. Um, there are people who look at other people and demonize them based on race, gender, sexuality, sure. all kinds of stuff. They demonize them over everything. Marginalization, hatred, bigotry. And so that exists. Now, is it institutional? Is it systemic? That's something different. And really, when we talk about seemingly the word woke, we're talking about something that's more than just a, a, a white man hating a black man because of the color of his skin. Like everyone can yeah. kind of see that. It's, it's pretty clear. 
most people, I, I hope all Christians would say that's wrong, like that's sinful to do that. But we're talking about something more than that. We're talking about something that's, that's bigger, um, something to the point where we had people, they no longer go to our church, but they were like, when is our whole church going to repent of being racist? And I'm like, what did we, what did we do that we're racist? Well, we're just predominantly white. I'm like, that doesn't make us racist. Like that just does not make a, a people because, because a church is primarily black or primarily Hispanic or primarily white, whatever, that does not make them a racist church. Um, and so th there's a lot of, it's like, we talked about this uh, prophet on our social justice podcast, but mm -hmm. if you, if you use the same terms, but are using different definitions or different dictionary, like it doesn't help. Yeah. And so when we talk about woke, we talk about, I could say woke, you could say woke and people react because mm -hmm. we're using it in a way that is offensive to them, mm -hmm. even though we don't intend it that way. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've tried as you know, you guys here at Building Twenty Eight know, I've just tried to stay away from Vody, the the statement on social justice and the gospel, away from Mason mm -hmm. and and woke church, and I, but mostly because I'm not in either one of their camps, but also because I don't want to. And I admire the pastors who do say, "Hey, look, let's just get after this," and let's. I really took June and July here to say, "Let's let's listen, let's just converse, let's." And and there was demonization for us here as leaders of going, you're not moving fast enough. You're not Absolutely. jumping into the fray fast enough. Absolutely. I'm like, well, the pastors I know who are jumping into the fray are getting blitzed as well. Like they're just getting blown apart. And so there's no winning this. Yep. Um, but that's that's the the issue I have. I mean, Deshaun, yeah. what are your thoughts on kind of like the, the woke church, the not specifically Mason, but just the idea behind the woke church, the, you know, do kind you of what feel like there, Do you feel like people just can't understand your your perspective unless they look exactly like you? Oh, you guys know me well enough to know that. That's definitely a, a no. I So I think there are problems with things like you're saying, getting out with the woke church. If it goes to that extent of you can only experience this and understand this if you are coming from my race or gender or ethnicity or whatever it may be. So I do not believe that there is a special knowledge, but I do believe that we can learn from one another. So, for example, my wife being a stay-at-home mom, I have no idea what it means to be a stay-at-home mom. But I can learn from my wife so that I can counsel her well. Do it one day. And help her yeah. well. I'll never be in like her you experience. Won't want to do it again. No, <laughs> mm -hmm. And so in that, it's hard. I think there's ways that we can gain understanding from each other and learn sure. better from each other. But I don't think there's a specialized knowledge or superiority just because I am a particular race, gender, or ethnicity, or whatever it may be. So that's kind of that's where I'm at with. What do you it. What do you think, Sarah? I, I agree, and I but I also think it's important to empathize with somebody if they're sharing yeah. their story, like Absolutely. exactly what you're saying. Just. Um, that's real for them. So that's the reality. Can I just mention something really quick? Because Aaron mentioned the greater way, love one another. And I completely agree. Can we just kind of pull this apart a little bit and go, what does that mean though? Like like for, for any of us, yeah. like, what does it mean to, to love well and to love righteously? Because for some people, I think that means that whatever they say they're dealing with or whatever they say their experience is or whatever they say, however they say they've been treated or perceived to have been treated – that you have to lament that and you have to demonize that. And then other people on the other side of this are going, no, 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 it's all logical. It's all, you can't base things on experience and you can't. So it's almost like one mm -hmm. side saying you can't grieve with anybody at all over their experience because it's unloving because you're compromising this factual truth. And the other side is saying like you have to lament and you, you if you don't see things my way and you don't weep over what I have perceived I've gone through, you're not loving either. What, where mm -hmm. do you guys – where do you guys stand on this? Like, how do we learn as a church how to, like, love well in the midst of this? Because that's what's missing so yeah. much. Yeah. I don't know if this has been the best or most helpful example, but I've tended to kind of come back to it in a lot of my conversations surrounding this. 
it's sort of like, and, and I think all of us are married here, so maybe we can all identify you married. I am. <laughs> so we're all married here. Um, and it's like when our spouse uh, comes to us and they say, I am hurt. I am hurting. May not be necessarily something that we we did to to produce that hurt, or maybe it, it we did have something to do with it. But sometimes we don't understand it. Like I can't tell you guys how many times my wife has come to me and she's in tears and she's upset about something and she's trying to explain it to me and I have absolutely no idea why she's so upset. Mm-hmm. But how callous and uncaring would I be to dismiss her hurt, to look at her just straight faced and say, hey, Ashley, it's not real. You're imagining something or just to dismiss her outright. Or to say all people's feelings matter. Or to say that all people's feelings (laughs) matter. Exactly, man. So I think think when we're like starting to unpack this idea of of loving and even talking about lament, that's one of the things, again, I agree you know, with our brother, Dr. Mason, sure. uh, you know, I don't agree with everything that he has said yeah. about this, but, but I, I did like what he said about lamenting and just the fact that, that we're seeing the hurt. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the first steps is to just recognize that if somebody's hurting, I've got to at least try to open my eyes and see it. I might, I may not understand it. I may not even necessarily agree with it. I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah. We don't have to come to an agreement. We don't have to come to just to agree. listen, just, like, just to yeah, hear just them to out. See it. Sarah comes to me, whether it's over race or things as a yeah. lady or as a friend, you know, and, and, and she's hurting on something. Yeah. I, you know, I don't have to understand everything she's going through, but to, to be able to empathize to a certain extent, to be able to understand, to be able to pray for. Exactly. I mean, that, that's just, it's just lost. It's just, yeah. so there doesn't have to be a compromise of logic yeah. and truth. No. To be able just to kind of grieve with somebody and yeah. and uh, feel for them, yeah, like you know, it's, it's missing. Is there a line that Christians can cross to where it does become compromising, or it does become compromised when you talk about this, trying to empathize, trying to lament, trying to understand mm-hmm. what people are going through, where you can become part of a problem that may make matters worse versus make them better with loving them. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying like, if Deshaun was to tell me about something he went through, be like, I couldn't fully understand that. Mm. Like, because it's Deshaun's life, Deshaun, not just because of what he looks like or what, because of what he has or because of who he's married to or how many kids he has. But it's like, we do different things every day. You Mm -hmm. don't know the people I interact with. I could go through something and be like, oh man, it was miserable. And you're like, oh, I know. No, you don't understand because this guy I deal with is the worst. Whatever it may be, it's different. You talking about me? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, he understands that. That's um, but but it's 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 okay to have like different perspectives and different experiences in life. The problem I think is when you talk about I like how Deshaun said it's not superior. It's not a woke level that you get to to understand everything that somebody that's white could never get to or somebody that's poor or whatever it is could never get to. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. that's what I don't mm-hmm. really like about it is you'll never get there because of this versus like, I'm not Deshaun. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to have that experience. We can still talk about it. I could still love him. I could still pray with him. I could still yeah. talk to him, whatever it may be. So is there a, is there a, a, a point at which a Christian can go too far down the lamenting side to get compromised? Maybe the answer is no, but if well, they did, what would that look like? If we're going to talk about this. Why don't we just open up the can and say, where have Christians gone wrong in, in 2020 specifically or in, in 
across the last couple of decades in dealing with the racial issues. I know that was one of the things that when I when I chatted with you guys or sent out some communication with you guys, that's one of the questions I raised. I mean, Sarah, what what comes to mind when we talk about it doesn't just have to be with somebody lamenting too much. Mm-hmm. It could be the other side of this, yeah. or it could be there's multiple sure. aspects and yeah. layers of this. So mm-hmm. where do you see Christians failing? I think just talking about it in general. Like I know specific instance, um, family of our a family friend, we know um they have a son they adopted. He's black, but uh there he has family members that question that. But and I'm like, that's a perfect opportunity to talk about it. Like, why mm-hmm. does that matter? You know, so for me, I'm just like uh, have those hard conversations. That's hmm. what I think of. True. Guess on me now. Um, so I have a lot. So stop me if I go too long. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I have honest ways of just really evaluating. So the, the very first thing I would say, and for anybody listening, if you disagree with us or whatever it may be, I mean, it's not in a flippant way, but first take it up with the Lord. Like stop before we start engaging, like you said earlier, of how it becomes polarizing. If you say one thing, you're either a racist or you're a Marxist and there's nothing in between of having that time to stop, go before the Lord and ask, why does this bother me so much? Or what am I seeing in my own self that I don't see? And if uh, I can just interject, especially yeah. if you're looking at somebody like a pastor or a friend yeah. who's trying to be faithful. Like Prophet and I can come to different points on this. If we're both just trying to be faithful for the Lord, to love people well, to teach the gospel well, to speak truth in the situations, we might land a little differently. I might land closer to Bachram. He might land closer to Mason. And that doesn't mean either one of us have to be demonized in this. Mm, And and so I just want to interject that because it's so easy for somebody listening right now and commenting under the YouTube video or on the podcast, uh, you know, you're all Marxist or you're all racist or, you know, whatever, um, to realize the, the five of us in this room legitimately are trying to be faithful in this issue mm-hmm. and trying to work, work through this. And so, sorry to interject. No, I no, just no, 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 that's good. No, that. that, that's exactly what, what I'm getting at. And so in that of the humility approaches topic. And so I've heard a lot of different unhelpful phrases and I get what people are trying to get at and what they're trying to mean by it, but they're unhelpful because as you evaluate them, think through them, they don't actually um, pan out. So one of them in particular for me where I get where the heart of it's at, but it doesn't help in this conversation. So one of them is like, just preach the gospel. So I completely understand why people are saying that because they feel like, as we're talking about the organization, that it's veering off into a different direction. But I don't believe that we actually just preach the gospel, we preach the whole counsel of God. So if somebody comes to me and says that there's a problem in their marriage, I'm not going to tell that wife or husband to go back and just preach the gospel. I'm going to give them counsel on because of the gospel, this implication of this is how you ought to live. And so the other phrases and stuff like that, where I know the heart of what people are getting at, but the communication gets, as we've been talking about, polarizing. And so that's one of them. But then on the flip side of it, we have to stop looking at racism as the unpardonable sin. So I think because it's become so polarizing to even say that you're racist or that there's something racist in your heart, which I believe black and white and everything in between can be racist. Nobody will ever admit unless you're thinking only KKK. And so there was actually a conversation that I had with a guy a couple of years ago where me and him were talking and he told me about how he struggled with racism. And that was literally the very first and only person who's ever admitted that to me. Hmm. And it was helpful because he was talking about how he had to still work through it and he was asking for advice and counsel. And I appreciate him for that because we're all struggling with sins. But with this sin, it's because we don't talk about it or we say nobody can ever struggle with it. It just becomes hidden. And so I guess we'll get at the definition of racism, but I think it's just the humility as we approach this, going before the Lord and recognizing we don't know it all, one. Mm. And two, 
we can be struggling with these things and it doesn't have to be the extreme of the KKK or and it's something Black you Panther never get better from or get over yeah. that people would never admit it because it's never something that like anybody would think you could ever get over right it's, yeah. it's going to be there forever you can never push through it because of how you look or your life or whatever and with any sin like we talk a lot about it with like guys that have pornography addiction or whatever it is it's like if you do that with anything all you're doing is the person that's struggling with whatever that sin is it's going to stay and they, the they devil's just winning. Up. Yeah, yeah, the devil's yeah. just winning. Like he's there. You go. Like let's. I mean, would let's you just, say that that racism is, uh, however people want to define that, and that's part of the problem too, is how you define racism. But would you say that's like the most egregious societal sin? I mean, like because even non-Christians would be like, you can sleep with your girlfriend, but you can't be a racist. Like right. you can't, <laughs> whatever that might mean. You know, you like mean it's, socially so, unacceptable so sin. It's, yeah, it's so egregious in society. It's so uh, looked upon in, in a negative light that that. To Deshaun's point, I think that's a very valid point that we're shaming people who maybe they actually do struggle with nationalism, racism. We're shaming them into never admitting it. Mm-hmm. They're never going to be able to deal with the problem. They're never going to be able to confess it because it's like so awful mm-hmm. and horrible um, for them to admit it. That um, And so I think there there might be people listening to podcasts that genuinely need to be like repent of, of true racism that's going it's on in their lives. It's gotten to a point where I can't understand how anybody could ever admit that. Like, yeah, that's, did you yeah. ever they see somebody know. admitting it like Deshaun's talking about? I just could never see anybody admitting it, you know, yeah. e- except for the, which we've heard pastors do in the way of, in the past. well, we all have it in us at some level and some point. So let's all just repent. And see, I think that's bogus too. Well, they're not fixing <laughs> it. They're not actually yeah. pointing out the issue yep. or fixing anything. You know, they're just trying to like check the box check and it. like, yeah. I did it. I, I posted the box or whatever. That type of stuff is not helpful in any sin and anything that you're dealing with, including racism. Like if you do have these issues with racism, it's something you need to deal with, admit, try to move on through and see and try to figure out why you feel that way. Right. But we've created Mm -hmm. a culture now where that's impossible, even in the church. Like it's impossible. Prophet, uh, on, on where we've aired. (laughs) Yeah. Christians. You you probably have a laundry list as well. Where, where, I mean, I don't mind saying where I've aired in this, but like just where we've aired as a church or as evangelicals. Yeah. It's tough, man, because I think that, yeah, in, in some ways we're not talking about it, whether because we are ignorant or blind, there, there is an element of that, but I, I see it. Maybe I take it a little bit further and say, but when we are talking about it, we're not disagreeing well. Yeah. Like, yeah. I feel like we're just fighting, Christians are fighting for the wrong things right now. When you say that's like one of the biggest problems in 2020 is that it's, we can't look at a friend and go, I don't agree anymore. We just can't. We, we just can't do that. We, like, we, we should we, be able to, we, I feel to look at me and be we, like, or we've got to go agree. back to the basics. Like, yeah. d- like take our people through just a, a biblical way of dealing with, with conflict, right? Yeah. Like, like, let's just, let's just go through it. Starting with love covers a multitude of sins, but sometimes you're just so hurt that you've got to take it to a brother or sister. So let's Matthew 18, this thing and sit down. Maybe I need to bring somebody with me for some accountability because maybe we aren't disagreeing well. So I'll bring somebody to, to in on the conversation, but we just, we're not disagreeing well. We're, we're fighting for the wrong things. And then we're just not appealing to scripture. Uh, we're just appealing to opinion. Uh, we're appealing to our our you know our politics. We're you know we're, there's there's a litany of things that we're appealing to. We're just we've yeah. we've we're, we've stopped appealing to scripture. So I think uh, honestly that's that seems to be the the biggest issue 
So when you just say, okay, well, you, you're making a point. Well, just tell me, tell me God's view and how God's view kind of comes behind that, supports that, defines that, clarifies that in any way. And I'm just not seeing a lot of that. So, so then when we see the problems that Christians have in this arena, yeah. what are some ways that Christians can support Black Lives Matter, not the movement necessarily, but just the the plain meaning of the words, like the black lives in America, not just the black brothers and sisters, but everywhere, mm-hmm. whether they're lost or or saved, you know, how can you support that? How can you further what they need, the compassion, the love? What's a, what's a good um, way to handle that and good actions to take for Christians, whether the, you've seen it, you've advised it, you've done it. What, what would your advice be to people listening that do want to do more, but are maybe scared to talk about it, don't know what to do? What would be your advice? So my advice, and, and you know this about me, pretty much all of you guys do, maybe not profit. My advice would be not to have those conversations on social media. Like we <laughs> talked about it, right? I mean, that, that's like the worst place to try to deal with this big of an issue. Um, I mean, it's 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 one thing to, I mean, it's just the worst. And so ha- like Sarah said, having, I've been able to have really good conversations with Sarah at times, um, or, or whether it's around this or whatever it is, just face to face, like sitting down and chatting. We've never had one conversation over social media. Um, because we don't fight with each other and that's all you do on social media. Right? So, <laughs> so um, that, that's what I would, I would say just having a, having good conversation, hearing somebody without, without having to raise your guard, which I know is really difficult, especially if they're attacking, especially if mm-hmm. they're calling you a racist, mm-hmm. especially if they're calling you a racist, <laughs> that you're covering your racism by adopting your black son, um, yeah. especially stuff like that. But I'm just saying like, there's, there are, there, there's, it's, it's so easy as, as a white heterosexual cisgender man to, to, to be on guard all the time right. that I feel like I'm going to be marginalized now, um, because of, you know, I'm, I'm part of the hegemony. I'm, I'm part of the, the part of the problem. I'm, 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 I'm racist just because of my ethnicity. Um, so it's easy for me to be on defense. So if somebody sets up me and says, Hey, I'd like to come in and chat about, about race right away. I'm just like, Oh geez, all right. Like, let me let me uh, read a couple books on this and find out why I'm not a racist and how I'm going to defend myself. <laughs> Instead of just hearing that and listening through, and once again, Sarah said, not maybe maybe disagreeing at the end of the day and being able to look at them, like like Prophet was saying, be able to look at them and be like, hey, I love you, don't agree with you on this, like don't see things eye to eye. Mm-hmm. We're still brothers, we're still sisters, like you know, in Christ, like we we can still love each other. I think that that is, um, you know, it's it's easy to look at like what we've done wrong, some of the stuff that Deshaun and Sarah and prophet talked about um, what we've done wrong and to say whatever the reverse the, the, of that is, is probably the right way. And so like when I wrote down some of this, it was a lot in line with what you guys were saying, but um, there's been a call for resegregation at times hmm. for carving out black space and white space and brown space. I don't see that uh, personally. When I look at scripture to Aaron's point, I don't see that when Paul's arguing for the unity of the table for Jew and Greek, mm-hmm. for slave and free, for male and female to come together at the table and take the Lord's body together. I don't see where there should be resegregation. I, um, you know, I, I see where the church is unified. I, I think when we when we talk about this, the the most important thing that we're talking about is identity. And we talked about this on social the, the social justice podcast as well. But when we talk about our most important, Sarah's most important identity is not as a woman. It's not her race. It's not even her as a mother or a wife, even though those are, I would argue, more important than her gender or her race. Her, her most important identity is that she's known by Christ, Amen. Is, is, is identified with Jesus. And that's the most important. And so what we're doing in the church oftentimes is we're 
if we're not careful and wise with what we're saying, we're elevating other identities over our identity with Christ. Mm -hmm. And it's causing this division, this Vision. rift, mm -hmm. where really what we should be doing is, I think we should be looking at Deshaun going, you're a black dude. I'm a white dude. That Those things should be celebrated. Like Sarah, Sarah's a, uh, uh, I mean, Multi-racial. Uh, multi-racial, right? <laughs> I don't, it's so funny. Is. I check well, all the boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my, my wife's always like, Augustine is not black. Stop saying that. He is multiracial. He's, you know. But I think that goes yeah. to like yeah. the cultural thing because, yeah, I don't. And by the way, Danielle didn't say to stop saying that for any reason that was wrong. She's just like, she's like, you know, I just want to be clear on this. Like, you know, and so. Yeah. To me, like what's what's really important is that we look at each other as God has wired and designed us, and we celebrate that. Amen. Like we we celebrate the fact um, there's nothing wrong with how God has designed us and wired us and crafted us. And what's most important is that as we are each uniquely crafted and designed, we are brothers and sisters. We have bought into the supernatural reality by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit that that we're united now, Amen. and in unity we can still disagree on some really big stuff. Totally. Like we yeah. can just disagree. Like we not see eye to eye on how to raise our kids or mm -hmm. how to have these conversations with sure. our kids, yeah. you know? Um, and, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. like that's, that's fine. And so those are some of the things I would say is, you know, in love, having honest, direct conversations, not compromising belief um, and yet still caring for people. I think so. that's a, that's a cool thing too, because you think about, I, I think we've had conversations with this. I know I've had conversations with my wife about how, you have like instant connections sometimes with people. Like if you find out somebody's a Christian and you just like have instant connections and things to talk about and you feel mm -hmm. and you could get, I know I talked about it with Tim for a long time. We had a big discussion over Thanksgiving with my brother-in-law and my sister about how, how close you can really get to certain friends when you know that you're both Christians and you're brothers or sisters in Christ. And you can just have these certain conversations, these connections and like black, white, brown doesn't come into it. You know, it yeah. really yeah. doesn't. And hmm. it, or it shouldn't, I guess I should say. And that's what's cool. And like how people like certain athletes, when they find out they're a Christian, like the whole mm -hmm. church gets behind this athlete, yeah. because he's Christian, whether it's true or not. But it like turns that out they're not, good. you're like, darn it. That, right. But that stuff's good. Like, I think that's awesome. Yeah. I think that's what we should gravitate towards. And that's where we should have those connections, you know, is, yeah. and that identity is so much more important than whatever else, whatever other identity we want to raise above that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I told people election week, I said it was, uh, it was really sad. I think it was a Monday of election week. Had, and, and, you know, I think I saw this somewhere, might have been, uh, one of the gospel coalition or eight two nine or mm -hmm. something, but um, that are we have felt this year such a stronger connection to people who are of our political party right. more so than of our identification with Christ, and that it goes that way racially. It goes that way mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to gender. Mm -hmm. When it comes to, I mean, heck, even when it comes to sports teams yeah. and hobbies and interests, like there's this this unity that we feel where um, I, I I just want to say it like white people are not my people. I hope, you know, I, I a hope a lot of them aren't, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that, that a black person would say black people are my people. Christians are our people. Right. Yeah. Like, like followers of Jesus are our people. Like that's who it doesn't we mean we don't love people that aren't. It's of just, course, it's of like course. your family. Like you have yes. your family. Of course. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. And so that's, you know, to me, I just, I just really want to, I want Evangeline. I want my, my little girl. I want Spurgeon and Justin, my little boys to celebrate their differences growing up. Mm -hmm. to, to be like this, we're, we're unique, we're crafted by God, like he designed us this way. Um, you know, in our family, Spurgeon and Augustine are adopted, same biological mom, and and Evie is our only biological little girl, and she has a heart defect. And so we've made, we've specialized all that, that Evie longs to be adopted now. So we like had a little <laughs> adoption ceremony for her. And Spurgeon and Augustine want a heart defect. Because oh, that's, awesome. and so, but, but 
but this makes them unique. Like this, they're yeah. special. Mm-hmm. Like they're, but at the end of the day, like when Spurgeon claimed, and who knows if it's legit, but when he claimed faith in Christ three weeks ago, like that's what's that's what's most important. Like mm-hmm. that's the identification that I want my kids to celebrate first and foremost above everything else. Even though these other identifications are good, yeah. like they're 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 healthy. Yeah. So I was actually kind of tying everything a little bit together into your question of what should Christians do moving forward. I think as we're talking about the organization, organization Black Lives Matter, but even just across the board, we should all reevaluate our support and our allegiances. Have mm-hmm. they become more about political parties or organizations or different things that have different ends outside of that, which is for Christ? And so I even think about, and um, Josh, when I was actually your pastor talking about this, where the angel Lord standing before him, he's like, are you on our side? And he says, no, I'm for the Lord. And what the pastor said was, so impactful and something for, I think, for all of us to really think about and evaluate is that God did not come to take sides, but he came to take over. Mm-hmm. And so as we think about our, what should we be thinking about? What should we be supporting? What should our allegiances be? It should be about what does the Lord put as impactful? What does the Lord say is important and things that we should be pursuing? And so I think for us as believers, that should be the central identity that we focus upon as we're evaluating all these different things, because it's so easy to get lost into all these different things. And you're told it's either this way or that way, but no, the Lord says it's his way. Mm-hmm. So that's what we should be pursuing. So I think for, that's something for all of us to have to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah what do you and, think, and Mr. I, Prophet? Yeah. Maybe just uh, the thought of bringing the gospel to bear, or maybe believing that the gospel is for all of life. I think we tend to apply the gospel to whatever experientially has been true or that we felt uh, in our lives. And maybe if we haven't experienced something, we just are afraid to believe that the gospel is for that. And I think, you know, the topic of race has, has kind of been one of those hot button issues where we, you know, we're, we're quick to apply the gospel to abortion. We're, we're mm-hmm. quick to apply the gospel to, uh, to orphan care. You know, on the flip side, we're quick to to apply the gospel to the the marginalized and the the impoverished and the refugee. But for whatever reason, we're a little slower to apply the gospel to race. And so I, I just look forward to because I th- I think to your point a, f- a few minutes ago, Deshaun, about how people just make the blanket like just preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, amen to that. But the gospel is for every situation, every circumstance, every relationship. It is for everything, right? Jesus set out to redeem and restore everything, right? So that means it has the power to kind of come into, you know, this triggering topic of racism and and blow it up and turn it on its head. And I, I will I kind, of, kind of wrap it down, land the plane with this. You know, we've talked about before, and unfortunately, you and I haven't profit, but mm-hmm. I think it might have been on a, a former podcast that we had, but uh, I know Deshaun and I have talked about that some of these issues like that you just touched on, they're very nuanced mm-hmm. and others are very black and white. And so like the abortion issue, for example, is is it doesn't take as much conversation around it. It's kind of like we know what it is, we see what it is, but how to serve the orphan takes a little bit more conversation about how to do that. And then I think race takes maybe even more conversation yeah. of, you know, is what we're trying to identify, is this wrong? Mm-hmm. Is is this over here what's actually wrong? Um, how do you rectify that? Does mm-hmm. systemic racism exist, which we really haven't gotten into in the podcast, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But if it does exist, 
how do you rectify that? How do you go about, you know, ministering the gospel to that? And so, and so once again, it directs us back to let's have healthy, mm-hmm. loving, caring, gospel-centered conversations around this, because some things we don't really need to have as much of a conversation around and other things like this issue, it's not as as clear cut yeah. on on no, racism is like if I hate somebody for their skin color, like it's wrong, it's sin, like we call it out. Yeah. But when it comes to to some of the other nuance, much of the other nuance that we've seen, it's just not quite as clear cut. And so yeah. uh, hearing people out, praying with them, yeah. grieving with them, loving them, speaking truth to them, it's really important. Amen. All right. So systemic racism. <laughs> just <kidding. Yeah. laughs> That's a whole other podcast probably. It really is. Yeah, it probably is. <laughs> we can get Sarah's dad here for that one. Uh. <laughs> All right. Well, that, that wraps up our time together. Today, Sarah, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. This wasn't such a nightmare, right? No, it wasn't terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Aaron, thanks for driving over, bro. Thanks for having me, man. Love having you, man. And Boogie, as always, doesn't get a thank you. He's just here all the time. No, no, I need my co-hosting credits. That's (laughs) right. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Put his name at the bottom, you know. All right. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Oz is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about this show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.